Welcome to the Cedar House Church Sermon of the Week. Our desire is to remain in God's presence, explore His passions, and supply tools that serve and inspire our city. Amen. How about Dave and Charlotte? That's so good. Babies crawling on people during announcements, and you can tell the age of our body uh, when there's children just absolutely everywhere uh, all the time. Now, we do that on purpose. We love just the kids being around worship, being around the presence of God. That's just a really big um, thing that we try to highlight. So worship was awesome, huh? Good, pretty good stuff, huh? It's amazing. Our worship team is just incredible. I'm so thankful for Amber and everything that um, is going on. So just so good. Uh, my name's Landon Snow. I think I know everyone in the room, but if, if you're new and I don't know you, really thankful that you're here. My wife is Stacy. She's in the back. Uh, we have four daughters, seven and younger. So she has like a tribe of children uh, in the back with her. She's the one back there. She's amazing. So is it hot enough for you guys? South Louisiana heat? I, uh, I lived in California and Seattle in my late 20s, and I forgot how hot it was. And I came back, I've been back for almost six years, and I, every summer I'm surprised that it's this hot. I'm like, man, it's actually this humid. Like, it literally shocks me that it's possible to be this hot. Are you with me? I, I mentioned the other week it was good for your skin, though, hu- the humidity. And we have a doctor um, in our group, Miles, and he told me that it's actually not very good if, with extra exposure. And you need to not, don't encourage people to stay too long out in the heat. So disregard everything. Uh, that I say that has to do with health and nutrition. I also mentioned that I did CrossFit and I was excited about it and I haven't gone back. So that lets you know my zeal for CrossFit. I do want to do it. It's the, it's a shower situation. They have, it's like a huge, there's no AC, you know, and you're just sweating. It's completely just drenched in sweat. And there's one shower with like no AC. I'm like, dude, I cannot, I wear slacks and a dress shirt for work, you know, I cannot leave the CrossFit gym and just go back into a sauna, you know. It doesn't work. Just profusely sweating in professional meetings. I'm supposed to be a professional. I can't be sweating like that, you know. But uh, one quick announcement before we jump into the word. The School of Ministry, um, if you are interested in all, we, we have a couple more weeks of enrollment. We actually we have 21 people enrolled who are, who are highly, highly interested. Um, it's really, really cool. School of Ministry, you can check it out online, um, cedarhousechurch.com or cedarhouseschoolofministry.com. We'll give you a lot of information on it. We're going to meet for six months on Monday nights from 5.30 to 9. And there's a little bit of homework, nothing written, all just consumption from CDs. So um, we're doing the school for people who just want to go further in God. Um, We're based the curriculum. We actually are using the curriculum from Bethel School, Supernatural Ministry in Reading. And so... I did the school for people who can't move to Reading and just want to stay here and just grow in God. It's an incredible time. This is our second year doing it. For, who was a part of first year? All right. All right. All the really holy prophetic people that you see. That was the first year. No, but if you're interested in all, at all, please let me know. Um, I would love to um, talk to you about it. If money is the reason you're not doing it, also please let me know. We can figure that out. Last thing I'll say, water baptism, I, I check, that's fun too. Depending on how many people we get, depends on how we'll do it and when we'll do it and all that stuff. So let me know if you're interested in doing that. One thing about having a really old school church like this is that there's, you 
I have a water baptism behind the screen, which is so funny. Uh, Joel, the guy who owns the building, told me about it, and I was like, no way. We are totally doing that. A water baptism during service is so good. So awesome. Well, um, at the end, we're going to go back into worship. So I'm going to, I'm going to jump right in. We've, um, in, a, in my quiet time, or just as importantly, things during worship or during the worship room, which again, would encourage you to be a part of that. There's been this central theme that I feel like God's just been talking to me about, talking to others about, and it's this idea of God's mercy. And during my quiet time, during times of prayer, I've just been feeling so much. God just highlight to me his mercy towards his children, his mercy towards humanity. And I'm just feeling waves of his mercy just on me. And um, during the worship room, we just keep singing about his mercy. And um, the worship team picks their songs. So I, I don't tell them, hey, this is a song you should sing. And I text Amber this week, just said, hey, I, would you be cool with playing the song Mercy by Amanda Cook, that last song that we played? And she said, I was feeling like we were supposed to play that song as well. So just extra confirmation of what I feel like God's doing. So I feel like this is kind of a right now word that's something that God is doing in our specifically in our community, obviously throughout the whole body of Christ, but um, for the sake of our community and what God is doing, which is so fun in Cedar House. So I'm going to start in Micah 6, verses 8. Um, and he says this, he says, And what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? To love mercy. So what my desire is today is that we fall in love with mercy. This is a scripture where God is giving us permission to fall in love with one of his gifts. God is, he's encouraging us to fall in love with his mercy. Let me put it to you like this. I want you to pursue my mercy. I want you to flirt with my mercy. I want you to ponder and engage with my mercy. This is a beautiful invitation from God and wants to encounter us in a fresh way that has to deal with his mercy. So I, I'm, I'm not very big on head knowledge. The Apostle Paul put it like this, knowledge puffs up, but wisdom builds up. Knowledge puffs up, wisdom builds up. Think about it like this. If all we're doing at church is getting good information, it makes us puffed up. So this is what the religious mindset does. If I'm just getting information about God, it actually is opposed to other people and opposed to God. If, I'm, if all I'm doing is getting information, it just makes my position stronger to argue. Are you with me? Knowledge puffs up, but wisdom builds up. When you hear something from God through the sense of wisdom, he builds something in you. Through wisdom is how you experience God. See, everything we do with God, we're, we are called to experience him. He's a, he's a close God. He wants to be very close to us. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He, he wants us to tangibly see and taste him and his goodness. And so I, my, my encouragement for you today is just kind of be washed over in God's mercy See, you can't, when you experience God's mercy, it goes much, much further than just being able to recite a scripture. You with me? When you encounter God, that is knowing him versus just reading about him. So at the end of service, we're going to play that song, Mercy, again. And I'm 
my encouragement to you is that it just consistently just washes over you that you would engage with God in that way. So I'm, we, we always talk about the goodness of God. Um, our number one core value here at Cedar House is that God is a good, loving father. That will never not be the core value. Learning God as a dad, learning God as a father is the privilege of the Christian life. You will, if I'm redundant at all, it's going to be on this subject that God is good and he's a good, loving father. And this is the pursuit of this house. We'll always have that. But he's good because of his mercy. His mercy is laced within his goodness. And his mercy allows us to experience his goodness. So who wants to fall in love with mercy? You guys want to fall in love with mercy with me today? Awesome. So I'm going to define mercy. So the actual definition of mercy is, it's compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Someone who has the right, the power, the jurisdiction to, to justifiably punish someone else and chooses to pardon is mercy. When you, when you get, when God gives you his forgiveness and grace, when it's undeserved, that's his mercy. I'm going to give you a, um, an epic example of mercy. So I coach a, seven and eight year old girls basketball team. I've done a little bit of recruiting and it worked. Got a couple kids from last year. Anyone remember that recruiting trail I was on? Okay. Some of you. Well if you don't know I coach a basketball team. If you know of any seven or eight girl seven or eight year old girls that are really tall, let me know. Um and we we were up six to nothing yesterday and the other team, which is like twenty five to nothing in adult games, right? We're up six to nothing, and the team came roaring back. And they were up. They in one quarter they scored seven points, which is like, I mean, only LeBron James could do something like that, you know. Not Steph Curry. Only LeBron James could do something like that. So half the crowd doesn't even know what I'm talking about. You guys in the back, you with me? All right, all right, all right. It's amazing. It's like almost making a political statement when you talk about LeBron or Steph. It's just amazing. I'm going to wear my LeBron jersey next week and show it to you guys what's up. So, no, they, they came back all the way, and we were losing 9-6. to six. And there's this rule on the court where you can't – the defense can't cross the three-point line. And so there's like a minute left. We're down by three, and the other coach calls a timeout. Now, we're at that age where it's like – it's all about, like, sportsmanship and you want to instill values in the kids, but it's almost like – kind of want to win at the same time. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It's like, well, we, if we just do that thing, we could like maybe win. So we're down by three, and uh, he calls a timeout, and uh, he chooses to run out the clock, like stay on this side, on this side of half court, but on this side of the three-point line, and just dribble the, dribble the timeout. So there's two sides of the strategy. That's actually a good move. Like in high school, that's like effective basketball strategy. But the girls are seven. So this guy's doing it, and I, well, I had a, one of the parents on the sidelines said, I could see fire coming out of your ears. <laughs> I said, you, yes, that is correct. I'm a, I'm a pastor, so I can't start screaming at the man, but I was just, so what I did was show mercy to him by not attacking him after the game. <laughs> that is a very relevant idea of God's mercy, that after the game, I shook his hand, and now I'm publicly making fun of him. So it's just, I'm... <laughs> totally kidding if he ever hears this he's actually a really good guy and a good coach and we talked about it and it was just totally fun but it's just there 
it's just a funny idea of God's mercy. But I will give you a, a, a real example. Um, I'm, I'm the youngest of four siblings. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home, always in and out of church. And the church was kind of a tight-knit group, um, kind of throughout my whole life, smaller congregation. And there was one child in the middle school group slash high school group who was pretty troubled. And he, his family situation was not good. And he basically got down to the point where he, he had to go to the foster care system or someone in the church or someone had to take them and legally adopt him for two years till he could become legal to be on his own. So my mom and dad are awesome people, and they chose to do that. So um, we had an adopted, I guess, you know, stepbrother situation going on for about two years when I was in middle school. He was a little bit older than me. So my parents in their house, they, they have two living rooms. And when I say he lived with us, there wasn't another bedroom because it was already so full. They put his bed in the living room. So we were around each other a lot. Praise God. My mom, my mom and dad aren't here. But, uh, so, and he was a really unique guy, you know, um, at that time. If, if some of you may have even went through this stage, like that middle school kind of gothic phase where everything's black, black pants, black nails. Anyone know what I'm talking about? going through that thing. So he was heavy into that thing. Now I was not heavy into that. Um, I was like basketball guy. I wanted to like hang out with bros and do dude things. And so there's always just kind of interesting clash. Um, and he's living in my living room. Right. But it was a good experience. I got to learn how to love people who didn't think like me and look like me, act like me, have the same beliefs and all that. So it was a good experience. But anyway, so early on in this process, um, he got caught doing some stuff he shouldn't have been doing. And um, the, it came down with a, he was facing five to 10 years in jail. And so I remember thinking, you know, I'm young. This is God teaching me at a young age. Well, obviously, you, you reap what you sow. Like you knew what was coming and you chose to do it. So you deserve five to 10 years in jail. I was young, figuring it out. And my dad wrote a letter to the judge. And just said, hey, I'm a Christian leader in the community. I just took over custody of him. Really feel like if you give him a second chance that I'll, it may work out for him. And about a week later, came back. The judge actually pardoned him. And he's now off on his own. He's, he's not in jail. Um, but it was just amazing. I remember feeling that, like, wow. Like, the, 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 the grace involved with just pardoning someone. And you can feel this in relationships, just daily relationships. When you feel like you're justified in winning an argument, when you feel like you're justified in knowing more than someone, but you choose to be the bigger person and employ mercy in a situation, it's, it's releasing the mercy of God. See, all of us can choose how we respond to people, and we can choose mercy. And God's response to us is always mercy. Isn't that amazing? God loves his response when we come to him with our guilt is mercy. He, he chooses to respond in mercy. So there's a couple key scriptures um, that I want to highlight really quick. They're, they're actually sang in the song tonight that we're going to go back into in a second. So there's a three kind of pillars on this subject of mercy. So the first one, I'm going to run through these. You can look them up if you'd like. Um, also, this is on podcast, too. I know a lot of you listen to that. I'll, I'll meet people I haven't seen in years. Like, oh, yeah, I listen to your podcast. I'm like, cool, then you know more about me than, like, everybody. Um, 
So the first one is Micah 7, verse 18. And he says, who is like, who is, who is a God like you? You pardon sin and forgive transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance. And this line right here, you do not stay angry forever, but you delight in showing mercy. So this brings God pleasure for him to give us mercy. This isn't something he has to conjure up. This is his nature to give us mercy. He enjoys giving us mercy. You think about it like this. What makes God happy? Like a lot of people have a lot of skewed ideas. Kind of what Dave was saying. We feel like God's going to change the way people view him in the world. And But the truth is, is that He giving mercy brings him pleasure. It's like he delights. It's like he's giggling to himself when he gets to pardon our iniquity. Like we're, we bring him our stuff like so just low, and he's like, gosh, I'm so happy to do this. I don't remember what you're talking about. It's just gone. And bring it up the next day. He doesn't know what you're talking about. The Bible says that his, his steadfast love and his mercies are new every day. The stamina of God's mercy daily, just consistently, every day, mercies are new, mercies are new, mercies are new every day. As if you can get that, it just takes away all performance, it takes away all guilt. God just is lavishing his mercy on us every day, and it's his pleasure to do it. Like, we don't have that kind of stamina. God's really big and strong. Like, if someone hurt your feelings every single day, you wouldn't want to be around them, right? God is just big. And he's like, man, new mercy, new mercy, new mercy, new mercy, new mercy. But I did this, new mercy, new mercy, new mercy. He's just consistently giving us mercy. Just wave after wave, giving us his mercy. So the other one is mercy triumphs over judgment. This is James chapter 2, verse 12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And here it is right here. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So when you believe you should be judged, it brings God pleasure to choose mercy over judgment. This is in the New Testament now, and he employs mercy over judgment. It's amazing. So when you feel like you deserve to be judged, he's thinking mercy. Now put this into everyone else. When you are in a situation with someone else and you know you're right, look, some things have happened to us where you're justifiably wronged. Like people have done things to you that are wrong. It can be really bad stuff down to like disagreement with a coworker. And when you think to yourself, I know that I can win this situation. You know, when you have the conversation in your head without talking to the person of how it would go, um, that's skepticism. You shouldn't do that. But that's a high and lofty thing that God tries to take down. Um, just have the conversation. Don't just replay it in your head a thousand times. Save you a lot of energy. But in that, every situation, every tally mark that you know that you could win, where you could judge and win and feel victorious over that person, just get rid of it. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It takes no talent to judge someone for what they're not good at. Anyone can do that. It takes a big person with a lot of lot of things built in them and a lot of core values to give them mercy. Think about God, how big he is. 
if he does it every day, every day, he's, he's wanting you and I to give that same thing. If you've had trouble forgiving someone, which we've all struggled with that, he's just saying, hey, give him mercy. You know, when you, when you surrender to that side of mercy instead of judge that person, it allows God to be God. Got to get an amen from somebody. Come on now. All right. I know I have a smooth radio voice, but uh, no, I'm going to kind of land the plane here. I'm going to give you two um, stories from the life of Jesus, and then we're going to go back into the song of, of mercy. So um, there's a story that I, I probably quote once a month here. Uh, it's just such a wonderful story of the love of God. And everyone knows it. Uh, even non-Christians know this story. It's a story of the prostitute getting caught in the act of adultery and being thrown at the feet of Jesus. So let me give you a breakdown here. There, there's a woman who's so broken that she's selling her body to men and she gets caught in the act. And the law was, if she does that, we stone her. And so the religious people found her, threw her at the feet of Jesus, and said, okay, the law says to stone her, Moses says to stone her, what, what do you say? And they wanted to see what he would do. First step in this, as Christians, we don't get our holiness from, from excommunicating someone else before God. With the religious people, it's like, I caught this woman in the act, I'm going to bring her to God, and show God that I'm holy by, by, by exposing her. Did you get that? Your holiness is not, that doesn't give you brownie points in God's mind. It's the opposite. Okay, so he throws her at the feet of Jesus. Jesus writes something in the ground, and he pardons her. And as I've said before, this is a father-daughter moment. Listen, Jesus gave her so much mercy. He covered her completely like a, do- like a father to a daughter, and he let her go. Jesus put his reputation on the line to cover someone who was guilty. Did you, did you hear me? Jesus covered a woman who was wrong with his mercy. So let's skip forward just a little bit. Most theologians, it's not really an argument. It's just not 100% clear. Say that that's the woman that poured oil on Jesus' feet. Let me me give you context for that story. Jesus is reclining at a table, hanging out with the disciples and other people. And a woman says, she's weeping at his feet. And she begins to cry on his feet and wipe the tears with her hair. And they had questions about why he would let a dirty person do that. And Jesus showed the priorities of the Father and allowed the moment. That is, that's our God. Now, why would he allow that moment? She caught his mercy. She, she encountered his mercy. It wasn't a theology to her. It wasn't a thought. It was real. And her response was to be completely exposed and vulnerable in front of men and be undignified, weeping at his feet. So here's the thing. If you encounter his mercy, it leads you to be broken before God. 
in my own life, when I start thinking my opinion matters a lot, I know I'm not broken before God. The closer you go to God, the less you can take with you, and including in that, included in that is your opinion. <laughs> there comes a point where it's just like, okay, God, I just want more. I'm completely broken before you. Here's the thing. In the kingdom, though, being that broken is a sign of strength. We, we view that as like, man, this person has no strength. Oh my gosh, they're on the floor. They're so weak. God's like, man, this I can build on this. This is a good thing. I can build with this. I am the potter, and I can build with this broken clay. Amen? All right, last story, and then we'll go on to worship. So Jesus had this incredible relationship with Peter. How many of you like Peter? Peter's a guy who's just, man, he's bold. He's out there. He's the first one to jump off the boat. He's like arguing with Jesus the most, but like in a bizarre way, not in a religious way. Um, and Jesus tells him, um, he says, I'm going to make you the rock of the church. Just paraphrasing, like you, you, I'm going to build upon you, Peter. I'm going to build my family. I'm going to build my foundation. I'm going to build my theology. And so he just, he had this huge love for Peter and him and Peter had a very strong connection. And, um, when it was time for Jesus to die, they're about to take him. Um, the, the officials were about to take him. There's a moment, the Bible says where Jesus was watching this moment and Peter, like a 14 year old girl asked Peter, like, do you know him? And he denied three times that he knew him. I want you to, the pain of that moment, a friend, walking three and a half years with that level of friendship. And then Peter, this is a moment when I need you. And he was so scared that he folded in front of a, a small woman, a small girl. And Peter left there, wept bitterly, very, very distraught. So in that moment, Jesus is justified to be able to judge him, right? I mean, it's God. He made a giant mistake. You denied me in front of my face. Should be a really bad thing. All right, so fast forward the story. Um, Jesus' tomb is rolled away. The women come and find Jesus. Thank God for women. Amen. Run into the, run into the tomb. They think, how are we going to roll the tomb away? And they get there, and an angel rolled it away. And they walk into the tomb. And there's, it says it looks like a young man sitting there on the side, clothed in white linen. Um, not trying to freak you out, but apparently there's like multiple places in the Bible where it talks about the people or men in white linen. Um, I don't know what it means. Apparently they're not angels, just more people on our side. Yay, God. Everybody okay with the men in white linen? It's in the Bible. Um, so, yeah, there's a, a young man sitting there, and he says, hey, don't be afraid. Jesus is going to Galilee. Go get the disciples and get Peter. Heaven is excited and eager for reconciliation that comes through mercy. So Jesus comes, gets the disciples, sees Peter fishing, grabs Peter in, and he has this conversation with him about, Peter, do you love me? And he says yes, and he restores him back to being in his right position. So Peter had obviously communicated, excommunicated himself out, and Jesus went and found him, reconciled his relationship with him. That's the mercy of God. What did Peter deserve? Punishment. Are you with me? 
these are just examples of Jesus just constantly showing his mercy, constantly showing his goodness. I love God, and I love that he's this way. I know we're not like the rah-rah church while I'm talking, like people aren't like yelling amen and doing somersaults. It kind of looks like a zoo during worship, but other than that, which is good, I like it. Uh, but in, internally in you, this, this should move you to say, wow, God, you, you have mercy on me like that. All right, the band, y'all can come back up. So there's this scripture, the Bible says, true religion is this, taking care of widows and orphans. And the truth is, is it's the people who are the most vulnerable, and it's the people who don't have a voice, and it's the people who don't have resources, and they're very exposed. And so, uh, honestly, a way to look at that is, the people who need the most mercy, love on them. True religion is giving mercy to people who are helpless and in need. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cedarhousechurch.com.